All right, Lynn and John, I'm going to turn it over to you. I don't know that it's my lucky day, but it is your lucky day. <clears throat> our, our combined story is, um, covers 146 years. And it's you know, a little hard to narrow that down. And I'll let you guess how many of that 146 belongs to me and how many belong to him. But um, we're going to cover growing up, our adult life together, and our commitment to prayer. And <clears throat> I drew the short straw. So I'm going to start. I was born in Bedford County. Um, in what my mother used to call the old hospital. Um, there have been two hospitals since that time. That's how long I've been alive, I guess. Um, <clears throat> I was one of six children. The first girl after four boys. And <clears throat> the story was told, my mother loved telling the story of daddy pouting when my brother Jerry was born, because he was the fourth boy. And <clears throat> the doctor looked at him, I think it was Dr. Birch, um, said, Dick, get a hold of yourself. You've got a healthy baby boy and you need to be grateful. So anyway, <laughs> I think he was pouting because he and mother made a deal before they married that she got to name the boys and he got to name the girls. So when I came along a couple of years later, um, the name he had picked out, Mother didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> I know this will stun you, but I was gonna be Sally. <laughs> and Mother said, no. You can, we are going to name her Sarah, but we're gonna call her Lynn. But if we name her Sarah, you can call her Sally if you want to. <laughs> so, Daddy and my oldest brother David did call me, uh, the story is, I don't remember, did call me Sally for a while, and I have David's spelling book. Let's see, David would have been 11 when I was born, and I have his spelling book, and in the, in the back of the book, it says Sally Lynn Sharon. He wrote my name Aww. in his book. Uh, but that didn't last very long. Uh, I mean, my name, Mother, Mother won on that one. Um, I'm Lynn, and I, 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 my first name is Sarah, but I don't go by that. There, uh, I forgot to put this in my notes, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you because it'll be weird if I don't. And then there was another girl born after me. Um, so I didn't get to be the baby, but I always got to be the oldest girl. And, and her name is Nancy Jane, and she was, uh, Daddy won on that one, because um, Nancy Jane was his grandmother's name, so um, that, he did win in the end, after six children. Um, I grew up on a farm. Um, we raised hogs and cattle, grew corn and wheat, baled hay, I even suckered tobacco. Uh, that's not a very useful skill now. Uh, 
she can milk a cow, too. <laughs> Maybe. I've got so much arthritis in my hands. I, I'm not sure I could still do it, but I learned how. Um, I learned how to drive a tractor. Um, I, lots of things that, that, that I no longer use in my current um, state of life. Um, I, as everybody else, I guess, who's spoken, thought my parents were the finest people in the world. As I've already told you, they had six children. They loved us. Um, they walked their faith. I mean, we had no question in whom they believed and, and what was important. Um, we went to church three times a week in the summers. We probably went to church eight times a week because we went to gospel meetings all in Bedford County, Marshall County, Lincoln County. I don't know. We're all... Um, Daddy was, uh, was an elder. He led the singing at church. So I got to sing with, with my daddy every Sunday. Uh, not, not standing up. I mean, <laughs> that, that would not have gone very well. Uh, Mother made the communion bread for, for every Sunday. And I meant to bring this and I forgot it. I, I, she scored the bread after she got it rolled out with a hacksaw blade. And I still have that hacksaw blade. I saw I hadn't thought about it until I wrote this. And I was getting something out of the drawer where you throw stuff. And there's that hacksaw blade. <laughs> so I could I too could roll out communion bread and cut it with a hacksaw blade if I were so inclined. Um, <clears throat> she was the one who always volunteered to take care of the preacher for the gospel meeting. And they loved to stay at our house because I think it's fair to say Mother was the best cook in the church. But she had good ingredients to work with. We killed hogs every year. John could tell you his, his introduction to hog killing. He probably won't, but he could. Um, we killed a dozen hogs every year. And it was, uh, I didn't mean to talk about this, but I've started. Um, that requires a lot of help, and but you also end up with 24 hams and 24 shoulders and lots of bacon and lots of backstrip and lots of ribs and lots of sausage. And daddy cured, in my opinion, the finest country ham ever. And, and those preachers loved having that country ham every summer. I, I, I bet they, they didn't want to go anywhere else to eat. They, they liked eating at, our, eating at our house. We also had a big garden. Um, we had, um, we, we, we killed a, a, a at least one steer a year. I don't think it was two. Um, Daddy. Daddy would, would put the steer up to fatten him up, and he would scratch him behind his ears and talk to him and, you know, just love on him. And then he'd load him in the truck and take him to the slaughterhouse. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, could, he could compartmentalize, I guess is what to say. But other than um, modeling her faith, 
one of the best gifts my mother <coughs> gave me was taking the time to teach me how to cook. And um, I've already told you I had six, well, five brothers and sisters, so that's eight uh, people, Captain Mother Nettie. His, da my daddy's two bachelor brothers, an old maid sister, forgive me, unmarried sister, um, lived with us. I, there were 11 people, five adults and six children in our household. So mother was cooking for 11 people and it would have been so much easier, I'm sure, not to have my help or my sister's help. But she understood how important it was <coughs> to take the time and to let us help. And uh, we've learned a lot about cooking, and I like to think I know how to cook. Perhaps that's wrong, but I think that. Um, the house we lived in when I was born was built in the 1850s. It had, I don't remember how many rooms, but the rooms were 20 by 20 with uh, either 12 or 14 foot ceilings, um, heated with fireplaces, so it was kind of cold in the winter, but it wasn't real hot in the summer. Uh, but it was a big old house, and <clears throat> um, Nancy and I imagined coming down those stairs, you know, coming around the turn in our wedding dresses, and uh, we had tea parties under the stairs. Um, but anyway, um, that didn't <clears throat> turn out to be. Um, because two days before my seventh birthday, one of the chimneys caught on fire, and it was a really dry winter, kind of like it, well, this isn't winter, but kind of like now, when it, everything was bone dry, sparks hit the roof, and fortunately somebody was driving by and came in a, up and alerted mother, uh, and we got out. It was pretty early in the morning. I don't remember. Nancy and I were still in bed. And um, we lost not everything, but a lot of our possessions. And um, the fire happened on December 20th, which meant we were <coughs> homeless at Christmas, but we were at our neighbor's house. And Nancy and I were just consumed with worry about our tiny tear stalls. We had asked Santa Claus for tiny tear stalls. I don't know if y'all remember tiny tear stalls. You may not be old enough, but you could have given, given the doll a bottle and, and she'd cry. That was really important. So I borrowed a piece of paper from my dad, my daddy, I didn't call him dad, and, and his pencil, and I wrote, Dear Santa, our house burned. We are here. <laughs> well, he was going to be in the house reading it, so I didn't have to give him the address. And please leave us our tiny tear stalls. And we got up Christmas morning. There they were. You could, we were thrilled. I mean, I, I th he came and he brought our tiny, tiny tear stalls. I believed in Santa Claus with every fiber of my being. <laughs> and it was two or three years later that my brother Jimmy took me outside, and it was on Easter Sunday, by the way, and sat me down. And he said, Lynn, 
there is no Santa Claus. There is no, and there's no Easter Bunny. Get over it. I, he, I don't think he said get over it, but he, he implied that. <coughs> so, but the, while it was horrible that the house burned, our neighbors loved us, loved on us. Um, we had a place to stay. They, uh, they started rebuilding pretty soon after the new year. Um, people volunteered their time. Uh, the general contractor would not take a penny. I mean, I, I you know, um, and this is one of my favorite parts of what happened for us, is the Home Demonstration Club had a quilting bee for us. I still have one of those quilts, and there are three squares that came from dresses that, that I remember. So I, Mother obviously got her scrap bag out of <laughs> out of the house before it, it, it burned. Um, and where uh, the farm where I grew up was four, 495 acres. And um, where we live now, we have a piece of that farm. Our house sits in, in what was the hog lot, but it, hadn't had hogs on it in a very long time and and it's on a little hill and we can see these twin hills out to the east and um, we live there and our Nancy lives around the corner of the road it's two miles by road but she literally lives over the hill from us mm -hmm. and she lives on the piece of the the farm that we refer to as over the hill. <laughs> so we, were, we were very original in, in how we did things. Um, the, other, the other huge marker in my childhood was when I was 13. My David, my oldest brother, suffered a massive head injury in a car accident and he died. And that, <clears throat> when I think of my childhood, there is before David died, and it was sunny, bright, cheery, and then after David died. It was, oh, so my parents, I mean, they still had five children. They got up every day and did what had to be done. But it was a very long time before my mother smiled or laughed. And, and Daddy just kind of drew into himself. And it was just, that was, ugh. That was a terrible time and it's still a terrible time to contemplate. <clears throat> Daddy graduated from high school. Mother had to drop out in the eighth grade because her father died and her, her mother just had a, had a nervous breakdown. So she took over taking care of her, her younger brothers and sisters. But both my parents were huge supporters of education for us. They encouraged us to make good grades. I can remember Daddy looking at our report card when I was, what was it? It was either chemistry or physics. I had a hard time making an A. But I had A's and everything else, and he would, he would say, well, this looks pretty good, but you need to do something <laughs> about that B. Uh, <clears throat> but 
anyhow. They, they, um, he drove a school bus and mother worked in the garment factory to help us out with, with school, college tuitions. We all had summer jobs. Um, I graduated from high school. I went to UT and oh, in the second week I was there, it was a Friday night and I was sitting on the steps and I was so homesick. I'm not gonna say any more about that. I'm gonna let John tell you the rest of that. <laughs> okay, flashback to before Lynn was born because I'm older than she is. And I, I get most of those 146 years. Um, I was born in Macon, Georgia, but that's just where my parents happened to be when I came along. Um, my family's been in Tennessee since shortly after the Revolutionary War. Uh, my ancestors got small land grants for their Revolutionary War service. Some of them wound up in West Tennessee where the Battle of Shiloh was fought during the Civil War. Some of them wound up between Cookville and Sparta. And we wound up in Cookville and that's where I grew up. Um, I, I, the second thing I want to say about my childhood is, you know I've been in the marketing and public relations business uh, all my adult life. You may not realize I started that business when I was five years old. Um, my, my father started a weekly newspaper in Cookville, and I negotiated my first business deal with him. Uh, he would not say would not call it negotiations. He would say I begged and pleaded and badgered and cajoled until he finally gave in and let me have a paper route. And our, the deal we negotiated was that he, he let me deliver papers to seven or eight houses. We lived on a quiet neighborhood with a lot of dead-end streets. And uh, some of them had a paid subscription, and some of them gave me a nickel when I brought them the paper. And my deal with him was that I delivered the paid subscription papers free and he let me keep all the nickels. I was making 20 cents a week and I, I was rich. Um, the third thing, last thing I want to say about my childhood is I really felt like growing up, I was never given a choice about faith. My immediate family, uh, my extended family, especially my grandmothers and my grandfather and, and my church family worked really hard to make sure that I grew up to be a believer. Uh, and, and nowhere in that is more important than what my grandfather did. Uh, he's the reason I wound up meeting and marrying that homesick girl. Um, when I was in college, he found out that I was dating a girl who wasn't exactly a good Church Christ girl. And he asked me about it, and I had to admit the truth. And He, he didn't really say anything, he just grunted. But with, but with a, a disapproving grunt, he said more than most people could say in talking for half an hour. And I decided that I wasn't going to disappoint my grandfather again, so I started looking for a good Church of Christ girl. I wound up at the Christian Student Center at UT. Uh, I went to all the activities. 
but it wasn't because I was particularly religious. It's because that's where the Church of Christ girls were. <laughs> <laughs> and and this one this Friday night, Lynn was talking about. Uh, we they had a party. It was a reception to welcome all the new students. And I went to check out the freshman girls. <laughs> and and I basically struck out with every, everybody. And I, I thought, you know, this is not working. I'm just going to give up and go back to the dorm. And I opened the door and walked out on the front porch. And there was this other girl that I hadn't seen before. She was sitting there with her knees drawn up under her chin, staring off into the distance. And she had a blue bow in her hair. And, and I've always had this thing about girls with bows in their hair. I figured out when I was probably six years old that if you would sneak up behind a girl and untie her bow, she would squeal. And then I figured out, well, you don't have to untie the bow. Just pretend to untie the bow. Then you won't get in trouble, but she'll still squeal. So I walked up behind this girl, and I uh, touched her bow, and she jumped up and threw a hand back to protect the bow and whirled around. She didn't squeal. I guess she was too grown up for that, but she smiled. And in that instant, I realized we were all wrong for each other. <laughs> she, she, she was tall. She was taller than me, and she had short hair, and I had always dreamed that I was going to marry a short girl with long hair. <laughs> but, but I'd started something, so I, I, I kind of had to finish it. So I thought, well, I'll stay and talk for a minute, and then I'll go back to the dorm. And a minute turned into a couple of hours, and uh, the more we talked, the more I knew we were just wrong for each other. Uh, she, she was a farm girl. I was a city boy. She was a straight-A student on a full-ride academic scholarship. You know, I was happy with B's and C's, and it was mostly C's. Uh, she was an athlete. She played basketball in high school. I stood on the sidelines and took pictures. It was just everything. The only thing we had in common was church, and even there we were from opposite ends of the spectrum. She went to a, a little country congregation where 60 or 70 was a good crowd on Sunday morning. I went to a bigger church in town where we had 10 times that many people. Uh, and, but I kind of liked her. And she, she looked really good in tight jeans. <laughs> so, so I asked her out, and, and, and she said yes. And, and I asked her out again, and, and she said yes. And then she cooked dinner for me. Uh, I told her that nobody would ever make spaghetti and meatballs for me. And she said, well, I will. And she was barely 18. She walks into a poorly equipped kitchen, uh, never looks at a recipe, makes the entire meal from scratch. And it was wonderful. And so I knew two things about her. One, she was a great cook. And two, 
She loved me more than anybody else had ever loved me because she loved me enough to make me spaghetti and meat. <laughs> so I asked her to marry. And she, she said yes again, only she didn't really say yes. She, she got, got me in a headlock and squealed into my ear. And I wasn't sure what she said, but it, I took it to be a yes. <laughs> So, Lynn's turn again. Did you bring any samples of those No, but I still know how to make them. Oh, she makes them even better now than she did back then. Did you do that headlock with you? Yeah. Oh. oh. Okay, if you are thinking that my being 18 years old and accepting a proposal of marriage um, meant that I was incredibly mature, you, you'd be wrong. Um, I, we did not marry until I was 19. But... <laughs> And I, I think back, I know that I didn't know what I was doing, when, but, but I, as much as I could know, I did dearly love him. He loved me more than anybody else I had ever met loved me. And I, God took care of us. He grew us up together. And... Um, And this man, uh, let's see, it would be seven weeks ago now. Is that right? Yeah. He did things for me. It never occurred to me I was going to have to have someone do uh, after my hip surgery. He never complained. He took, I, I mean, he is an incredible human being. And I am profoundly grateful that he's mine. Um, <clears throat> we... Uh, we married after John graduated because he is, as he said, a little bit older than me. And uh, we moved to Nashville because um, he had a job here. And I transferred to Peabody back when there was a Peabody. Um, <clears throat> finished my undergraduate and also got a master's. I, I was a special ed teacher for a while. I taught in Williamson County and in... Um, and in Metro, uh, in truth, I have come to realize I don't believe teaching was my gift. Although I was, a, I, I got good reviews and all of that, but that really wasn't probably where I needed to be. But anyway, I, I as I've already told you, I was one of six children. I wanted, I wanted a big family. I, I told John I wanted. <coughs> Uh, I wanted six children, too, and we had settled on four, but it didn't happen. I mean, we had been married um, 12 years and had uh, knew we had a problem. So we went to the Vanderbilt Fertility Clinic, had a bunch of tests, and um, I was diagnosed with <coughs> polycystic ovarian disease, which meant according to my doctor, that my, my ovaries were covered with cysts uh, from eggs that tried to 
emerged from my ovaries but, but couldn't get all the way out. And he said the only way I was going to be able to conceive was to have a procedure where he would go in and scrape off the um, my ovaries, and um, he thought that would do the trick. So <clears throat> it was very important to me um, to ask for the prayers of this congregation before I had that procedure. And I wasn't comfortable doing that, but I had I asked John to stand up and ask for prayers. Um, and he did on the Sunday before the procedure, which I believe was the following day. And so the doctor did the procedure and he comes in the room afterwards and he said, I didn't find any cysts. I don't, I don't know what I felt, but I didn't find any cysts. <clears throat> and I will believe, because I know it's true, till the day I die. And it was the prayers, it was our being vulnerable to admit the weakness, and God answered that prayer. Those many prayers, so beautifully. Um, and, and so that, I mean, that is one, a, a huge foundation of my, my prayer life. I, I mean, that was such confirmation. Um, I decided not to go back to the classroom after, after Robert was born. I wanted to enjoy being a mom. And when he started um, preschool, I figured out ways that, that I could contribute to what John was doing. And, and he's going to talk about this more, but we worked together every day for almost, almost 40 years. I think the only reason it worked is because he had one set of responsibilities and I had another, and we didn't, uh, our um, responsibilities did not put us in conflict with each other. Although I served as editor, I would review things he wrote and I could make suggestions and he didn't argue with me too much. So it, again, that was God. He allowed us to work together and, and made it a, a pretty harmonious situation. Um, Robert, of course, was a joy. I mean, he just was a joy. And Pat shaking her head. She had him in her three-year-old class and he did not say a word in the spring program as he had taught. <laughs> well, he, he wasn't the only one that didn't, didn't, didn't say anything. But he told her before the program he wasn't going to sing, and he did not. Um, he just, he has gone after, uh, he has deter great determination, and um, he decided he wanted to play soccer. He taught himself to, uh, what is it, punt? I, he, he must have kicked a soccer ball in our backyard hundreds of thousands of times. I mean, I, that surely is an exaggeration, but um, he learned well enough that he was able to be, he got to walk on the Lipscomb University uh, soccer team. And when he, when he was a senior at Lipscomb, 
he was in a car accident and tore up his um, his left shoulder. And so after his surgery, he did his physical therapy with with uh, Lipscomb, athlete, the university trainer. And there was this um, women's basketball player who had had shoulder surgery um, in December as well. And so the trainer made it easy on himself. He scheduled Robert and Kirsten to come to the training room at the same time. And um, they got to talking. Robert worked up his nerve and asked her out. And, and you know, one thing led to another. I, I did learn pretty quickly, once they were engaged, to not tell people that they met in rehab. <laughs> <laughs> Because it, in my mind, that they were rehabbing their shoulders, and I, those words just rolled right off my tongue. And I don't even remember who I said that to. And she had the most horrified look on her face, and she said, oh, I am so sorry. I had no idea. I, I'm glad he's doing better. And I'm going, it was physical therapy. You know. Uh, <clears throat> She and Robert are a great team. Um, she is a woman of devout faith. They were—they are so good together. They really, uh, well, as Rhonda and uh, Randy said this morning, they're both firstborn children, so they—they are—they're very organized. Robert did not get that from either of his parents, uh, but they have lists for everything. Uh, but that's not wrong. It's, they, they operate better, way better than I do. She's a PA. She graduated from Trevecca. The job offer she got was in Peoria. And so they moved to Peoria, which was a very sad day in, in my life. But anyway, they're still in Illinois. They live, their mailing address is Glen Carbon, Illinois. It's, um, a suburb of Edwardsville. They're close to um, the Mississippi River. They're close to St. Louis. Um, Jocelyn was born in 2015, and then Jonna came along in 2017, and we, like all of you in here, her grandparents or great-grandparents, it's just the best. It is absolutely the best. Even though they're in Illinois and we're here, we... <coughs> We see them as much as we can. I want to, <laughs> I want to tell you about the conversation we had last Sunday. We Zoom on Sundays so we can see each other's faces. And so Jocelyn gets on, looks at me and, and John and says, I can't wait to get to your house next week. And Jonah said, I can't wait to see the kitties. <laughs> we, we have two cats. And Robert said... Didn't you mean to say you can't wait to see Grandma and Granddad? And Jonah said, I can't wait to see the kitties. <laughs> <laughs> so when they get here Wednesday afternoon, well, not here, but at our house, they probably won't even speak to us. They will be running, running to get to the kitties. But that's okay, because the kitties are at our house. <laughs> and, and they're, they're going to be there, too. I want to tell you one more thing about Robert. He decided 
to get out of um, marketing, PR, and advertising a little while ago. And he's earned his master's in, in education. He is a high school English teacher. Oh. <laughs> and I, it, it didn't filter into my... I didn't know he wanted to do that, which makes me feel like a failure as a mother. But I think he hid it from us because he was working... He was working in our business, and he had to screw up his nerve to say, I don't want to do this anymore, which was certainly fine with us. Uh, but he's having a, this is his first year to teach, um, and he loves it. He absolutely loves it. They've already talked to him about coaching soccer, so he's probably going to be the soccer coach too next year, but I, I, we're so proud of him. I mean, following his dream, John's going to talk about his career. Oh, are we done? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is my bad. You shouldn't have let me up here. I talked too much. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk just a little bit about prayer. My mother was the first <clears throat> prayer warrior that, that I knew. She prayed for us and her friends and neighbors and coworkers. Uh, when I had a problem... I would call her, and she always said, I'm going to pray about it. And she did. And um, unfortunately, she developed dementia, and I, I couldn't have survived walking with her through that journey if, if it weren't for the prayers of a whole lot of people, uh, uh, some of whom are in this room. Um, I want to say a couple of things about prayer. <clears throat> um, I, I just believe that's my connection with my Heavenly Father. And I saw a quote that Charles Spurgeon said, that prayer is an open door which no one can shut. Don't you love that? I love that. And then, um, of course, Jesus taught us to pray with the uh, the Lord's Prayer, which we didn't do this morning, but I would like to close with that in, in just a moment. Um, and Catherine Marshall said, God insists that we ask, not because he needs to know our situation, but because we need this spiritual discipline of asking. So... Um, I ask God for a lot. I, I, I ask Him for to help a lot of different situations. Some of which, well, I I know He answers my prayers, but I, I they don't always. His answers are not always what I was hoping for. But <clears throat> several years ago, I have no idea how many. Janine asked me to to head up a, a women's uh, prayer group. And John helped me set up a way to send out prayer requests via email. Um, that is still operational today. Men and women are welcome to join. Uh, there are two requirements. You have to be uh, in Fellowship One, uh, because that's how I send out the prayer requests, is through Fellowship One. 
and you have to let me know because I can go in and add you. And if you're interested, either tell me this morning or, um, or, or send me an email. But um, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together, please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank y'all. Thank you.